for the Sick, Tired, and Transcended Podcast. But I'm tired of being tired of being tired. With Jasmine and Crystal. Hey, y'all. Hey, welcome back. This is episode two of Sick, Tired, Transcendent. Last episode, we talked a little bit about serious conversations about race or scars that are usually unprovoked and initiated by well-meaning white people, but they actually don't have any value for black people or other people of color and may be somewhat damaging to our mental and emotional health. So we still want to hear your stories if you have one. You can email us at sick.tired.transcendent, T-R-A-N-S-C-E-N, D-E-N-T at gmail.com. All right, so let's get into our topic for this week. Okay, so let's talk about these schools reopening. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Schools are reopening, but there are no real plans that address safety for teachers, staff, and students. Or if you are like me in a state that has not made any announcements yet, there are multiple plans, but... We don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. So one thing I'm thinking about just off top, I'm thinking about teacher safety because both you and I were teachers, did a lot of work in education. And yeah, teachers are not loved like at all. Like I don't understand why people hate us, but that's what it is. So if we think of, for thinking about teacher safety, first of all, the majority of teachers in this country are in the quote unquote COVID age demographic. So they're more likely to be infected. They go home to families and they could bring it back to their families, right? There are like no safety things in place. Like we don't get PPE. We don't get personal protective equipment on a regular day and schools are full of germs and diseases and illnesses that kids just like, I mean, literally will stick their fingers in their nose and then stick it in your eye. If you haven't seen that meme with the cat coughing, that's exactly (laughs) (laughs) how I feel. Like I'm super concerned. Like my heart is breaking for teachers and students. I just seen a few tweets. Students that are in majority black and brown districts are not able to opt out of going to school because of the bigger systematic issues that happen in this country and it's unfair and I feel like it's irresponsible that our country has like gotten to a place where black and brown people can't opt out of something for their personal safety and even outside of that like I know we're not in the classroom anymore but I don't feel like my personal safety is any more important than teachers that are in the classroom and students who are may live in multi-generational homes that may have like become carriers for that family. So I'm extremely worried about that. But outside of that, schools were never safe anyway. <laughs> Just like if you're talking about germs, bacteria, and cleanliness, schools were never safe. Crystal, I know you remember. <laughs> Like, we never had toilet paper <laughs> in our bathrooms. Yeah, no, not even in staff bathrooms. <laughs> the hand sanitizer was always empty. <laughs> like, why even have those hand sanitizer dispensers by the door and they're always empty? And on top of that, like, we would put it on the student supply list, even though you're not supposed to, to bring hand sanitizer. And it would still not make it throughout the school year. So, 
we always have to go into our own personal budget to try to refill hand sanitizer because the kids will be eating it. <laughs> they would like honestly get up just so that they can put hand sanitizer on so that they can talk to their friends. I remember at one point you had a conversation with them about how the hand sanitizer is reducing their immunity. <laughs> And, um, like, not only is it true, but it just goes to show you, like, it's very difficult to manage kids when you're talking about a global pandemic. Yeah, I don't even know. I'm just wondering how the cleanliness will come about because, as you know, <laughs> as you know, the cleaning crew doesn't come until the end of the day. And, I mean, I love the cleaning crew. Like, some of our, like, really good friends on staff, like, I respect them. I couldn't do that job. But... I mean, when you think about, like, all of the classrooms in one building, all of the stuff that they have to do, they have to empty the trash, they have to sweep, they have to, like, do other things throughout the day. At the end of the day, the students put the chairs up, and then they come through, sweep real fast, and leave. Like, when are they going to have time to disinfect all of the desks, spray everything down, wipe everything down? One classroom would normally take, like, five minutes. It's going to take like an hour to get through one class it's not enough time they wouldn't even be leaving until like the next morning yeah i don't know there are just like physically not enough people to be in that role like right now to make sure that schools are safe and the way that it is going right now with covid i think going back into schools is potentially one of the worst things that we could possibly do. I know we are thinking about our economic safety but people are still dying every day I mean, if states are limiting the number of people that can go into restaurants, they're saying outdoor dining instead of indoor because literally there's no, like the schools that I've worked at, either there was no air conditioner or it was broken or like no real ventilation circulation. The windows hardly open except for like the newer schools that we worked at. So usually you're literally sitting in just steamy COVID all day. Not like COVID. And then <laughs> and then like if you think about Philly, the whole last year they were battling because of asbestos and lead and all that stuff in their old buildings circulating in the air. Now add on this mm -mm. Yeah. I feel like I've seen like some pictures online where teachers are like being creative and coming up with their own ways to prepare for this but being a teacher there's a very limited budget very limited. we tried to remember our yearly budget I think it was 250 probably was less than that and that's on top of not having physical texts having to make copies or because we were in a different program being able to print there but having to buy our own paper having to buy books and classroom libraries and pens and pencils and sticky notes like I feel you know, like teachers would fight for these things like you would buy a case of paper and then two packs of paper would be missing the next day and we would have to fight <laughs> Because it was just not enough supplies. And the, and the principal would literally be like, all right, here's your one box for half of the year. And it's like, okay, but this whole curriculum is printed. Like, we have no physical text, but you want kids to write and things like that. Like, how does that even work? Yeah, I mean, you're right. Working in under-resourced schools, it's, it's exactly and then after a while, when you use the sites to write grants, principals and schools were like, oh, no, y'all can't do that anymore. So where are we going to get the supplies that we need i don't know 
And like, it doesn't take a lot to know who's going to be impacted by these decisions. Like, you know which communities are going to be hit, which schools are going to be hit. The schools that already didn't have resources before this. And that's why I just keep telling people that COVID is, it's enlightening us on a pandemic that was already going on. It's long and sustaining and it's always been here. It's structural racism, systematic racism, and it's still going on. And the fact, and like, I don't know if y'all seen these um, plans about going back, but white districts are not going back to schools. I know in New Jersey they are, but I'm still trying to figure out where they're going to put all these kids. Like, even in the suburban district where I live, like, and my son is going to first grade, that my my daughter is going to pre-K and they don't even know where they would put her because it's a new pre-K program. They're like letting everybody go to it like free, like regular district school, but there's no space in any of the schools. So they would be riding different buses to go to school. So she's going to have to go to a middle school possibly in order, like there's no classrooms. There's not enough research. There's not supplies. There's not space. And so now they want to send kids back to school and they're hoping that some parents will keep their kids home. But if not, then how are they going to split these classrooms? And if they split up the classrooms to make the sizes smaller who is going to staff all of these rooms yeah i have no idea i talked to one of my friends who works in an affluent private school and they are saying that kids don't have to wear masks either Mm -mm. they're Mm -hmm. thinking about fully going back to school they they're not they don't have a final clarification i will say that the state that they are in it is not advised for them to do so but because they are a private school they have some autonomy and they're thinking about fully going back and not having kids wear masks that's crazy so that makes me think about this post that i saw where it said not sure if teacher friends need ideas but and they put the shrug emoji in she used pvc pipe and clear plastic shower curtains from the dollar store It costs around $100 to do her room. And it shows an image of four desks placed in a group in a classroom. And it's like a PVC frame. Like, if you don't know what PVC is, it's um, like those white kind of like plastic pipes that you can like run water through or you can just use it to build stuff. And it's holding up a clear shower curtain barrier between the desks in the classroom. Some of the things that we said, like some of the issues with that is like teachers spending their own money. Also... My issue is like, why are teachers expected to do everything? We're supposed to teach, right? We're expected to be social workers, counselors, mediators. We have to break up fights. We have to be experts in content and social and emotional things. And now we're also expected to be construction workers. Like, how does how does that work? Oh, I was just about to say, can we go back to that own money? Because Oh, yeah. When I was teaching, there was no own money. <laughs> I've never been more broke in my life. Right. <laughs> you don't even make enough money to be no. spending money, but you have to. At one point, they put me down to uncertified pay. And I was like, I don't even know how I'm going to pay my rent. One check for two weeks is less than my rent. And I'm going every day to do a professional job. And at that point, I was midway through a master's and had a bachelor's. And this is what the crumbs that we are giving teachers. So, I mean, that's just to put a little perspective on like where teachers are. In addition to like, this woman has built these things in her classroom, but it may not also be safe. Nope. It's definitely a fire hazard. I know the fire marshal will come around and be like, nope, take it down. Yeah, like kids cannot see through like 
there are other vision implications. There are students with learner variability that cannot hear with all of these other implications of like being placed back that far and like they told us to circulate the classroom how are you supposed to do that right like when we were trained to be so-called good teachers we were told you can't sit down you have to be moving around there's actually people that come through the buildings and mark down how long you were sitting down while you were teaching like why and so now we're supposed to just sit there and teach but so how are we supposed to help the kid that's sitting in the back or even monitor what the kids are doing while they're doing it are we just talking at them and hoping that they do it because they didn't do it before when we did that <laughs> we circulated the classroom you could be walking around a classroom for 30 minutes and then you walk by a kid and they have nothing on their paper at all yeah i just also we were told that we were supposed to group students so that students can learn from each other and stuff you can't group students if they're six feet apart or if you were to do the like shower curtain thing Again, not CDC right recommended. It's a fire hazard. Can you see, like, are you going to be fogging up the shower curtain? If you have a mask on, will they really know what you're saying? And then we're also supposed to pull small groups for interventions so that each kid gets their stuff on their level during the day. You can't pull a small group of six, seven kids because everybody's going to be too close. Yeah, I don't know. It's just difficult to work adjacent to education right now or adjacent to people in the classroom and have the privilege of not having to be in the classroom. But it is really scary and I'm definitely concerned. I will possibly (laughs) probably donate to a few people who are doing like donor shoes or small things to get materials for their classroom. I can't say for everybody and don't email me about that because I don't have enough funds for all y'all. But what I do have, I will try to distribute to other teacher friends that I know that are just trying to protect their lives and their loved ones' lives. Yeah, it's really sad that I know schools are going to go back and teachers will not have the things that they need to protect themselves. I mean, doctors and nurses are struggling to get that stuff right now. So where do school districts think that we're going to get it from? If I, myself, not a teacher, just go to the grocery store right now, I cannot find disinfectant spray. I cannot find disinfectant wipes. I cannot find Lysol or... Clorox or any of them other people that aren't paying me, but I'm giving them shout outs right now. We can't find it normally. So how are we going to ask parents or even ask teachers to bring it into the classroom when it's not being supplied? I wouldn't feel comfortable asking parents or anything right now where we are in the economic downturn. I mean, our country really paid us dust and gave us a few crumbs and left us, (laughs) literally left us out here. Just, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. In addition to like thinking about teachers and families, no one actually knows how COVID affects kids. They're assuming that it doesn't do anything. Yeah, let me tell you. <laughs> My cousin, luckily now she is recovering or in recovery. I believe she has an, a negative COVID test on Saturday. But my cousin told me, I called her on FaceTime when I found out that she had COVID just to check in. She told me her doctor, her medical doctor, told her, (laughs) I just want to be specific, it's an MD, told her that children can't catch COVID and that her three-year-old son will be okay. I don't think... How would you even know that? I mean, that's right up there with my mom's job telling her that you have to have sustained contact for 30 minutes with someone that has, has COVID. To, I was like, just, just say you want me to come to work. 
Because you just, like setting the timer on your watch. All right, so we're at 29, 30 seconds. Like, wrap it up. I'm pretty sure it happens in milliseconds. I think that's generally how this thing goes. But, you know, I'm not a scientist. That's just what I thought. It's crazy because, like, we're just out here willing to risk people's lives and you really don't know what's going to happen. They're saying that kids can't catch it. But at the same time, there are kids that have died. There are kids that have contracted it. Some kids are experiencing something called multi-symptom inflammatory syndrome. And the CDC describes it as a condition where different body parts can become inflamed, including the heart, lungs, kidneys, brain, skin, eyes, or gastrointestinal organs. Um, The CDC goes on to say that they don't yet know what causes it, but they know that many children that got it had the virus that causes COVID-19 or had been around someone with COVID-19. It can be serious, even deadly, but most children who were diagnosed with this condition have gotten better with medical care. That's scary as hell. Right, okay, maybe they got better, but that means that they had it. They could have been super sick. If we go back to thinking about who's going to catch it most, will they have access to the proper medical care to get better? Probably not. Right. Will they probably have family members who are suffering from things like diabetes, obesity, heart problems, all those other things that, you know, COVID is really like attacking. We don't even know because kids, they can go to school. Like people think that kids are the only ones that go to school. What about all the staff? What about everybody else? And then the kids will still go home to their families. Yeah. I mean, not only just like the diseases that disproportionately affect us as people of color and black people, I've seen so many reports that if you're a vitamin D deficient, that COVID is going to affect you differently. Who do you know that's black that is not vitamin D deficient when they get their blood work? Like, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. I just don't know. And like thinking about who all is in the classroom, like what's going to happen when there is an outbreak in a class? I mean, there was a school here last year that um, I was visiting through my full-time job that had an outbreak of hand and mouth disease yep. in 2019. Mm-hmm. Oh, remember we had one student that actually had hand and mouth disease mm-hmm. in our classroom. Um, <laughs> that was one student. We were like, uh-uh, back up. Yeah, it's you got to go home. <laughs> Now imagine our classroom, our normal classroom size, which we were told could be up to 33, but they always- The legal classroom size? They give us more. So if you say like half of that, 15 kids Mm -hmm. with- Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, it's it's hard because we have upper grade students who are switching classes, going to lockers and interacting in the hallway. I don't know how that's going to look. Teachers who are there all day with no breaks from students. And also, does that mean that specials will be canceled? Will there be music? Will there be sports? Will there be art? Will there be computers? Ooh, thinking about the keyboards is making me itch. <laughs> will there be science labs? Because like, what is that going to look like? For education. Sanitize all of that stuff. I don't know. Don't even sanitize the desks properly. Like, you don't know if, you know, a kid coughs in a book and then leaves the book on that desk. Like, they're going to have to carry everything with them at all times. You can't stick nothing in a desk. You can't, like, they're going to have to wipe off the desk before they leave and, what, spray the air. Like, it's crazy. And then also, if you're thinking about not only the upper grades that switch classes, but like we worked in an elementary school that switched classes. Yeah. 
as young as I believe like second grade was switching classes. Mm-hmm. You also have kindergarten through third grade teachers like they're babies. How are they going to play with each other? How are they going to talk and build relationships? How like one of them falls or something and they're crying. How are teachers going to be able to comfort them? Like you, you can't do anything with them. Yeah. How are they going to be socially distanced? Like I've seen sad pictures of kids sitting in boxes at recess by themselves for whatever reason. How are you going to recreate that through every single area of the school in the cafeteria or if not in the cafeteria in the classroom you can't keep kids apart like that it's not good for their mental and emotional health either I think it's kind of hard too because we've gotten into like a place where it's a double-edged sword is because we have parents, particularly in these communities that are mandated to go to work, and we haven't provided basic human needs for students outside or inside school, and, like, we haven't provided, like, social service support for families. So now we're trying to figure out, like, what happens once we go back. And I'm holding out hope (laughs) that New York State will be like, you know what? It's okay. Just stay at home. But mm-hmm. I know that there are economic implications for families, too. We know who can afford to keep their kids at home. Right, right. <sighs> Lastly, I just wanted to say, like, as we think about students switching classes, there are other people in the building that switch. We have support staff. I know for us, we had translators, paraprofessionals, and other special education teachers that push in, pull out, that do also switch classes and classrooms. And it's just logistically a lot of things to manage when you're thinking about schools. Even like coaches, like outside coaches and organizations and things like that for teachers or for kids or for administration. Like I know that some organizations are saying like, okay, we can't send anybody in the schools because they would be considered super spreaders because they go to different locations. So does that mean that the adult learning is going to miss out during that time too because teachers are expected to keep up their professional development hours in order to keep their licenses too it's crazy yeah i have i have no idea and just overall thinking about like when this whole pandemic started things were shutting down right nothing was opened other than like essential businesses like grocery stores even like doctors and offices and stuff had reduced hours and certain times that certain people could come in And it wasn't until the cases started declining that things started opening up. So now that in some states where the cases are going crazy or, I mean, like in New Jersey and New York, they're going down, but still it's not it's not safe. Like you don't want to just open everything up automatically. Like New Jersey, you still can't eat inside of a restaurant. You still can't have too many people in a store at one time because we don't want it to spread. So why do they think that it's okay to just open a school, which they know is crowded, even if it's 15 kids in a classroom. How are you going to go to the bathroom? How are you going to walk down the halls? Can't use water fountains. Everything's going to be have to be disposable to throw away and everything. Everybody's going to have to wear gloves and like goggles and masks. And it doesn't make any sense to reopen the schools when the number of cases are increasing if we're trying to keep it from getting out of control again. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I'm keeping my fingers strongly crossed that this is something that is not happening. Now, when I think about plans, I have seen a few plans where it's saying that there's a virtual component offered where you can keep your kid at home and that there is an in-class component offered. 
But how does this work? Like, how does this look? Have there been additional staff hired to teach virtually? Are teachers responsible for teaching virtually at the same time that they are teaching in person for multiple times a day for different groups of students? So is this like a live feed into your classroom? Like, are you on Big Brother? That's my question. (laughs) (laughs) Are you on Big Brother as you're teaching or is there additional staff hired? And when we think about additional staff, we know that that's probably not true. Right, because they're already cutting people. And there, some districts are trying to force older teachers out so they can hire younger teachers that they don't have to pay as much, less experienced mm-hmm. teachers, just to get money back, increase their revenue and everything so that they can make up for the losses that happened when the pandemic started. So we already know they're not going to be hiring extra people. I mean, schools don't even want to pay like for extra support when a student has actual needs. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to go down this road. Not today. We'll talk about it on a different podcast, but I'll just say this. Um, schools don't want to pay for additional support when a student has documented needs in the classroom just because they're worried about the under bottom line. And if you want to be honest, schools have always been underfunded. Like if you talk about public schools specifically in black and brown communities, they have always been underfunded. So with the impact of this pandemic on top of what's already been going on, I, I don't have, I don't have answers my state doesn't have answers because they haven't told us anything but i'm interested to see like how it goes and like how i can hopefully support teachers yeah definitely trying to support the teachers because we know the struggle we just did a lot of complaining (laughs) (laughs) and i mean i feel it's justified but i also want to say like being a parent I also understand the parent concerns, right? Like if we want to go back to work and rebuild the economy and everything, we definitely need childcare, right? Some kind of childcare. And because we can't just invite random people into our house all of the time, there's not enough babysitters either. Like school is where kids were normally, right? But then like, first of all, teachers are not babysitters. It's way more than that. And nobody should be asked to risk their lives. Like, I feel bad for even, like, my neighbor works at the grocery store. But her job could not be done virtually like a teacher's could, right? But, like, I've heard some parents complain about, like, half-day schedules or half-of-the-week schedules where kids will go to school, like, Monday, Tuesday, and then Wednesday, everybody's virtual so that it could be a deep cleaning. Then Thursday, Friday, Group B of students would go in. But that still doesn't solve childcare problems, right? Because then that means so that the parent can only work for two days out of the week, and most jobs don't work like that. Also, there are parents that I've heard of this argument about so-called common core math, like math isn't the same in every language, in every place around the world. A lot of parents don't know how to help their kids. So I think some of the arguments come out of a fear of looking like ignorant. They, They really don't know what to do to support their students, especially when your first grader is coming home with work and you're like, just do it the regular way. And they're learning different methods and the parents not really understanding. Or even like middle school and high school kids that are learning, I don't know, trigonometry or something. And the parents like, well, what the F is this? Like, I have to learn that that's not important. 
I do want to like highlight one thing that I did see as we start to shift out of our justified complaining. I did see like a couple of articles where teachers have been fired for speaking out against their own will to go back to school for Mm -hmm. COVID-19. And I'm like, what kind of place do we live in where you can be fired for speaking up about your own personal health and safety and that of your loved ones? I mean, it is getting pretty uh, dystopian. (laughs) I mean, there are school districts where in like private charter networks that will not let teachers unionize. Mm -hmm. And then they spread misinformation like, oh, if teachers are in a union, then that means that they keep bad teachers and they keep this and that and stuff. But then you have like some unions actually giving up their like right, like teachers rights in order to just get a pay increase. Mm-hmm. Like they're like, okay, we won't unionize. We won't strike. Teachers are legally now not allowed to strike just so that we can get a little bit extra money every year. Yeah. Because the cost of living increase that teachers get usually does not even equal the increase in the cost of living every year. What I told you, those are my most broke times. <laughs> But then if you think about all of that, not only are parents concerned about these things, but teachers are like Mm -hmm. some kids only meals are at school because either their family can't afford it. So there's like food insecurities. There's people that live in food deserts where like you might only get a mom and pop store or a corner store or bodega or whatever you call it, where there's not fresh groceries and things like that. So teachers I've been seeing have been the ones during the pandemic still risking their lives, but like delivering meals or going to the school and preparing bagged lunches and waiting outside for people to come and pick them up and things like that. School tends to be a generally safe place. Like the majority of kids' lives are in schools, right? So the schools that budget for them have counselors and Mm -hmm. school nurses and things like that. And then, you know what I mean? It's like some kids are not safe at home. And it's really sad. And teachers will step up and go above and beyond and take care of them. But nobody's taking care of the teachers. Even technology. Remember when this all started and there were districts that was like, oh, well, only the fifth graders are getting laptops. So figure it out. Like, how are you expecting people to do work and get everything done? But you don't even provide them with things that they need. And I'm not even putting the blame on the districts because they don't have the funding they don't have the funding right also i've seen like with some technology distribution that happened like in the earlier summer or late spring when you give a family technology do not expect ill intent immediately Mm -hmm. on the technology they're like we're gonna get this laptop hopefully it doesn't come back broken or stolen yeah like back at all like people need this to access learning they're like I wish, like, when people thought about black and brown communities, it wasn't immediately to wrong. Like, something wrong is going to happen with this technology. I'm using this to actually learn so I can have accessibility. I mean, that's not happening. Yeah, you can't go into a library to use a computer. The two computers that are in the local library. (laughs) I don't even know. I went into a library last year. (laughs) This is... (laughs) Side sidebar. I went into a library last year. I don't think I saw a computer. Uh, it might have been one or two, but I went to like go and volunteer for something, but I don't even think I saw a computer. Yeah, and they're supposed to be available so that people can, you know, if that's if your library is open, because some people are going back to like phase one, phase two. So that's if if your funding, library is open. Government funding for those things isn't available because apparently it's not important to read or to learn. Yeah, but yeah. they're opening schools. 
even though it's not important to be educated for some people. I know we like, <laughs> again, we said a lot of things, but I think there are some possible solutions to like, not perfect solutions. There's no perfect solution to a systematic problem, just period. But I think there are some ways that like schools and district could have done this differently or better. I was telling Crystal, we never really did virtual learning with school, right? If you didn't already have like systems set up, like I contact parents this way, they can get to me from this app. Then we have this WhatsApp group going with parents. So if you did not have those things already in place, then it was just kind of a free for all once COVID happened. And I think if we spent our time in the summer really reviewing and overviewing and like spending our time and talent on making virtual learning better, then it can be better. I've seen one thing with a local summer camp here. They are working in conjunction with our district. They're providing materials, whiteboards, markers, pens, pencils each week, manipulatives. That's something you can barely even get in the classroom. And I'm wondering if this is like a test for how it could be. But if we spent our time in the summer, like really buckling down on like what virtual learning could look like I feel like we could have come up with some really strong solutions yeah we're also saying something about globally like things that they do that we don't do here yeah so I'm global not really (laughs) (laughs) I do have friends in other countries but I was talking to some educators from other countries mostly like Brazil and Nigeria Central American and Sub-Saharan African countries oh I'm not global I'm not happened they went on the radio and started doing lessons over the radio for students or on the tv daily but why don't we have that like why don't we have a base level education so like why don't we have just like our government has a youtube channel if there's an emergency and your child's in third grade you can click the third grade folder you can start from lesson one and someone is creating like supplemental materials for that every day like why is there not a team that's doing that all of the time it's not even done like that statewide and here every state does their own thing which is crazy because everybody's all like oh you gotta be patriotic and oh our country's the best and our country gives us so many things but they really don't realize that every part of the country even within states and like local governments and stuff everybody's doing something different and i'm not saying that everybody should do the same thing because different areas and different communities need different things right but why isn't there things like that when there's a national emergency or a worldwide emergency it doesn't make any sense i don't know if i'm going to say that everybody shouldn't do the same thing but the individualism of capitalism has kept us bound for a long time Mm -hmm. and I wonder like we started Common Core because we wanted like as a country to like be more aligned or like competitive with other countries because you know we don't want to learn just to learn and it was supposed to like give us a window into how people think so why is there not more collaboration across the country or like something like a base level Um, We have standards, but the materials are completely different. The teaching practices are different. And I don't think it should all be the same, but in case of emergency, we should have some type of base level instruction ready to go. They should call your friend that wants to be on TV. (laughs) He can do a few lessons. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know about that. 
I mean, we do have what a secretary of education or something, whatever the role is. And I don't know that that person has created any kind of plan yet other than just saying like kids need to go back to schools, which is what a lot of people are saying. So I'm still waiting. Like what, why do you, why do you even got a job if you're not guiding the education of the entire country? I mean, this is what happened. That's on brand when you've never been in schools for real. It's completely That awesome. is definitely on brand because you got like a lot of school leaders and all kinds of people like, oh, this is easy. I can just jump into a classroom and teach and then quit within a week. Or, oh, well, I can lead these teachers because I'm a teacher, but you don't know how to address adult learning. Like everybody thinks they can do everything. What they say if you can't do teach, but then what? What happened if you can't teach? Oh, and then you just you just can't do. <laughs> you just can't do. And you do do. As my dad No, I'm done. I'm... Yeah, but yeah, we're gonna like stay posted on like what's happening with the schools. We're proximate to education and other social equity issues, so okay. we should have more commentary. But that leads me to think about like what. We we know that we're sick and tired. We're always sick and tired in this country. Hey, what, sick and tired. Yes, but what is keeping us transcendent this week? I'll go first. So I was having a rough few days. I did take off from work because I had some PTO and stuff like that. And I'm like, normally I wouldn't take it, but for my mental health and everything that's going on right now, like I needed it. And that was nice. But then today I had just a really rough day with work. And so I went out and bought me green velvet, like an emerald green velvet armchair. And I have placed my chair. Yes. <laughs> I have placed my chair in my room with my plant babies. And it's just like this beautiful pop of color that like brings in the tones of plants, but it's just giving me like a place where I can relax and and plus spending money is therapeutic, even though yes. then I see my bank account then that's it's like a cycle of emotional distress and then therapy but yeah that chair has really lightened my mood today and just being able to sit in that room and enjoy it I would say that has made me transcendent this week okay so for me I don't have any plans coming up or I don't have any big purchases right now crystal's probably gonna kill me for this one but i've been on keto since like early march and this weekend i just allowed myself to have carbs and y'all i was having a carb field day i mean i was paying for it on the scale today but i was having watermelon bananas like all of the things that i just couldn't have and yes yes oh that one was bad i went far but i mean hey Today I'm back and I'm back on keto. <laughs> Today I'm back and I'm back yeah, on keto. Remember I told you last night I counted out my 11 M&Ms. <laughs> <laughs> the keto struggle is so real. But yeah, I'm like super refreshed just to have that time. And I didn't even need both days off of my day. I was off for one day and I was like, okay, that's enough. Back to keto. But I'm swimming more just like enjoying like being in the water and stuff i'm like let me get this last bit of summer i know we didn't get to go anywhere i can't travel let me just get that last you know ring the last bit of summer out of the towel before it's gone in like two days apparently well you know i live in the frozen tundra (laughs) 
So here at the North Pole. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just enjoying the last few days of summer. And that's keeping me transcendent. Honestly, my high for my watermelon. <laughs> We're not going to talk about a banana. <laughs> and like being able to like get out and swim and do outdoor activities. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for joining us for episode two. Let me go ahead and tell you where you can find us online at. You can find us on our website if you want to book us for professional things at www.pivotalparadigmproject.org. We're on Facebook and Instagram as Pivotal Paradigm Project. We're on Twitter as Pivotal Paradigm. And you can always email us at team at pivotalparadigmproject.org. Those are our professional handles. If you want to talk to us about the podcast or follow our podcast, we're on Facebook and Instagram. <laughs> Instagram as <laughs> sick.tired.transcendent. We're on Twitter as the Sick Tired Pod, where our email is sick.tired.transcendent at gmail.com. And for the podcast, please remember to comment, like, and subscribe. All of these things will be in the show notes. And we are also still interested in your scar stories. So serious conversations about race that were unprovoked and share the story, share how you felt. We can share it on one of our shows. It can be anonymous. That's cool. But I know we're not the only people going through things like this. So yeah, if there's any teachers that want to just like highlight like what your back to school plan is looking like or like how you're feeling or if want to drop like your link to like where people can donate go ahead and email that to us too we'll share it out now i can't make any promises about what's going to come back to you but we'll put it out into the universe for you yeah all right it's been good (laughs) y'all see you next time